Grace is actually pretty radical. And there's, there's some churches and, that preaching grace to them is almost scary. Because preaching grace with some respects, when it's understood well, puts the glory onto God and puts us in a place of receiving. And in many people's minds, that is against the way we've grown, the way we've learned, the way we've functioned. We have functioned and we have learned how to do in order to receive. And God says, no, I want you to receive and then do. And it, it's, it can be pretty... It can be pretty scary at times because I can preach a, a passage on Scripture, Pastor Nelson, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Sean, uh, Pastor Winona, the other pastors. We can share, and sometimes it's the way it's heard is the way it's applied. So you might say, well, this is what I was saying, but somebody might apply it differently. You know what? I'd like you to start walking in the grace of God. And if you misapply it, would you be open to hearing from him to correct you? So I want to read this passage. In this passage, if you take the actual context of this verse in 2 Corinthians, it actually has to do with money. The whole chapter. And there's a few chapters in the Bible that are all about giving and finances and money. God is not afraid of money. In fact, he says, I've given you, talking to us, the power or the ability to create wealth. And why did he do that? He said, so that I can establish my covenant with you. So if you need finances, talk to God and say, what is the ability and what is the power that you've given me so that I can create wealth because that's how he established, one of the ways he established his covenant. So this verse here, in verse 8 of, of 2 Corinthians 9, and God is able to make all grace. Look at somebody and say, all grace. How much grace? All grace abound. Not only does he say all grace, but then he says abound. I think we need to sometimes take the limits off of our thinking and the way we process it and say, what does God say? We serve a God who's pretty radical. We serve a God that actually said, you know what? Man needs a redemptive work, and the only way that will happen is if we go down and walk amongst men, and we are made like him, Emmanuel, God with us, and satisfy the holy requirements of a holy God. I mean, that's pretty radical. The creator coming and living amongst his creation. That's something that, that all these Marvel and DC Comics movies are trying to do. They're trying to show the supernatural, the superheroes, the greatest story, the greatest 
picture of all would be the picture of the story of Jesus coming down, God walking among us, with us. And he says, I'm able to make all grace, God is able to make all grace abound to you. To you. To you. Who here has a deficiency? Who here has a need? Who here doesn't have a need but would like to get some more? It's like, hey, I'll take it. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. Having all sufficiency in everything. Make all grace abound, all sufficiency, everything, that you may have an abundance for every good deed. And what happens is the finances actually are connected to our everyday living. Finances in the kingdom of God are not a separate entity. Finances in the kingdom of God are a part of the plan of the kingdom and how the kingdom works. And he says the money and the finances and the abounding grace that comes through the giving also opens up avenues for every other area of life to be affected. Every other area of your life. So God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able. 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 Well, what about God is able? Well, you don't know what I, God is able. But you don't know, realize what I'm getting. God is able. Our default needs to be, God is able. Quit listening to the lies of the enemy. And start listening to the truth. There's some of you here that have construction backgrounds. There's some of you here that understand contracts. And the, the Bible is a covenant. And the language is a covenant, but it's also written in a legal language. I used to work in construction, and we'd get a contract, and what would actually, they would list out everything we were to do. Every single thing. And the contract could have been for a million dollars, but there was a $150 item in there. And we had to do every single item on that contract. So we may have put up a structure such as this, and then outside there may have been a bollard or a post to protect something. And during the course of construction, not only did they say get this whole building done, but they pushed us and said get that post done. And every single item listed in that contract was accounted for and expected. And what I would do is I would read the contract and I'd read the list of inclusions and the list of exclusions. And that's how I conducted my business with respect to that project. This here is your list of inclusions. 
This here is your list of inclusions. By his stripes, you were healed. Amen? Now, I'm not even getting into my sermon yet. Hallelujah. If you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, I want to spend a few moments in John chapter 1. When Jesus came to earth, he took an upside-down world and he turned it right side up. I, one of my pet peeves is the phrase, let's go turn the world upside down for Christ. No, my pet peeve is, let's turn the world right side up for Christ. Because if you look at how the world was created, the world was created and the initial picture was God was having fellowship with man. Then man fell and Christ came and he redeemed as the second or the last Adam. You have the first Adam and you have the last Adam. And he restored and he redeemed and he brought back that picture and he defeated the enemy. And what he did was he turned an upside-down world, he turned it right side up. He restored it back to its original picture. Fellowship, God with man. Connection, God with man. And in John chapter 1, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is writing and he's talking about the introduction of Jesus. And we get to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a few moments and look at the amazing grace that Jesus brought for you and I. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we take some time to look in your word, to see the truths of your word, to see the revelation of your word. Lord, I ask that our eyes would be open to see and our ears would be open to hear and our spirits would be open to receive the revelation of who you are and the magnificence and the majesty of your creation and you coming and walking among us. In your precious name. And everybody said, the picture of Jesus and his grace and truth that we enjoy. The entrance of grace brought the upside down world and made it right. You and I as believers live in a right side world. A right-side-up world. Before we accepted Christ, our world was upside-down. Before we accepted Christ, addiction, 
habits, depression, loneliness, those things would rule and dictate in our lives. But the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior, our world was turned right side up. And now addictions do not dictate my life. Habits do not dictate my life. Depression, loneliness, worry, anxiety, poverty, those things do not dictate my life. Now I live in a world that is turned right side up because of the grace and truth of Jesus. Now I want to I want to spend a few moments in this passage and I just want to share some of the revelation God gave me as I was studying it. For instance, it says, and the word became flesh. If you look at the beginning of that chapter, it says, in the beginning was the word. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says the same thing, in the beginning, the same phrase. From the start was the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we get down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And that word, word, is the Greek word logos. It's a very interesting word. There's two words that, that quite often are used in the scriptures with respect to written word, spoken word, um, words that we read. One of them is logos and the other one is rhema. And logos is very much, for simplicity's sake, the written word that you and I read. And then rhema comes in and it takes it to a whole nother level and some people refer to it as the spoken word or the revelatory word. So in other words, when you read the scriptures, you might be reading something and all of a sudden you get a revelation that, wow, what? I didn't see this before. And some of the biblical scholars would refer to that as the rhema word of God now coming alive inside of you. And here we have the word logos. It was actually a word, I want you to get this, because this is, this is, I've got like five or six of these, and every time I wrote them down, it was like, wow, this is just amazing. This is, this is a powerful understanding. We're just looking at three verses, but a revelation. One of the Greek scholars around 600 BC, a Greek philosopher, he coined the word logos, so it was not um, just specifically at the time of the Bible. But his reason or the way that he described the word logos was the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. So when he referred to logos, he was saying that's a divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. When we read the word of God, the logos has the ability to change and implement the divine aspects and creative power in the universe. Amen? Another phrase, some scholars define Logos as the entire communication process. Now I'm giving you some definitions. I don't have my white teacher's class... Uh, 
cape on and I don't have a chalkboard that I can write all over. But one of the ways they defined Logos was the entire communication process. And the word became flesh. We take that word out of there and we say the entire communication process became flesh. How God communicates with you and I. No longer was it just verbally. Now it actually became flesh. The way that God spoke to man now was actually living and real in front of them. When I try to imagine that, I cannot, I can't seem to grasp what that would have been like to walk the streets having a revelation of who Jesus was. And the disciples at times struggled with that as well. Thomas still couldn't believe things even after Jesus was raised from the dead and he says, I've got to see him. The entire communication process became flesh and dwelt among us. Nothing was missing when Jesus came. I've heard some of our friends refer to Jesus and they say, if you want to uh, if you want theology and you want perfect theology, look at Jesus. Study Jesus and you'll get perfect theology. Because he's God, incarnate. He, he is the ex full expression, the manifest full expression of God. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The entire communication process... The entire. I want to sit here just for a moment. And if you can just think, is there any questions you've had this week where you say, I could really use some insight on this? Have you had any situations where you go, I'm just not sure what to do right now? Have you had any situations where you've looked at it and you go, I've got three or four different possibilities. And if I do this, this could happen. If I do this one, that would happen. If I do that one, it might go that way. And if I do that one, the, and, and, and the results aren't terrible, but which is the best one? He says here, the entire communication process became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the answer that you need, the necessary information that you need, Jesus has. Can I ask a second question? I'm going to anyways. Who did you ask when you had that need?
I used to work in construction. I'd get to work. I'd go to work early because by 8 o'clock the phone would start ringing and I was then at the demands of the phone or at the demands of the tasks of whatever projects I was on. And I would have to have answers and I would have to have responses. And what would happen if I was not careful is I would get swallowed up in the demands of the moment that I would forget of the supply of the Creator. And I would get so enthralled with how am I going to get this delivered? How am I going to make this happen? Because it will take three weeks to make it and they want it in two. How am I going to have this situation figured out? And instead of going to the communication process, Jesus, instead of going to the word, I would use my defaults and I would have this necessity and this need and I would actually rule God out of the discussion. And I would reason it away. I don't have enough time to pray. I need to get an answer just like that. And for me to pray, I have to move my chair back. I have to sit down on my, go down on my knees. I have to fold my hands. And, and we have all these crazy ideas of what we need to do. And, and we can talk to God just like that. In the moment you need him, he is there ready, willing, able, and he has the solution. What am I supposed to do about my children? What am I supposed to do about my career? What am I supposed to do about this project? What am I supposed to do about repairing this? What am I supposed to do about fixing that? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to approach this? How am I? Talk to God. Take a moment and talk with God. It says in Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So when Jesus came, he changed the whole communication process and he actually righted the world. Another great example of that is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And what happened is the people for millennia had lived a certain way and had established rules and some of them ceremonial laws and some of those laws of, of doing this way and that way. And Jesus came and he says, you've heard it said that you do it this way, but I say, and what he was doing was he was writing the ship. And he was changing the way it was done to showing in the kingdom perspective the right way, the right perspective, this is how to do it. He went after the physical act and he said, no, what's the motive behind it? You say, well, that doesn't happen nowadays. Oh, it does. Because quite often we see a physical act and the individual might say, well, that's all what I did. But there is a motive behind that act. And Jesus, what he was saying is, you might think this or you might do this, but I'm saying whatever you think in your heart. So he went deeper into motives. And what he was doing was he was writing the ship, he was writing the world and he was saying in the kingdom, this is how it functions, this is how it flows, this is how it operates.
Can you imagine what that would be like to be walking with Jesus? Physically? Now, I've got some good news for you. As he was back then, it's even better now. Because he told the disciples, I have to leave. It's expedient for me to leave so that the next thing, the Holy Spirit can come and he can guide you in all truth and he can lead you and he can direct you. He wouldn't have to leave if something better wasn't there because he's a God of always improving. He became flesh. I love this thought. He took on our likeness and he became flesh. What's interesting is in Genesis 1, he made man in his image and in his likeness. And man fell. And then what does he say? In John 1, he comes in our likeness to restore. So here we have this picture of God creating us in his image and we fall and sin enters the world. And then God says, I'm going to restore that by now coming into what I've created and being a part of that and restoring that. God is not afraid to get into your life and to help you and to give you the grace to overcome. There is no situation that is extending beyond the grace of God. None. None. There isn't any. Paul would sentence people to death. God confronts him on the road. He gets transformed, changed, and we see the life of Paul the Apostle. And then you read and he says, you know what? Those things that I did before, in the past, even the bad things that he did, he said, those are no longer on my account because of the grace of what God has done for me. David, he manipulated a situation and sent a husband to battle, set him on the front row of the battle just so he could die, in legal jargon, I don't know if that would be called an accessory to the crime or accessory to murder. But he set it up and he gave instructions to the people. Put this guy in the front row because I like his wife and I want her so he's got to die. I mean, how terrible is that? Yet God forgives. There's nothing beyond what God can do. No situation that God cannot redeem. What I'm amazed by this is the word became flesh. He came and took our place, what you and I deserved, and he said he came and he took that. We've looked at grace and we've seen that grace is not, is, is his favor, his blessing, and it's him disseminating favor on us without any regard to the benefit. 
So he gave this without any regard, saying whether, because he knew there would be some that would receive and some that wouldn't. But he didn't, he didn't have inclusions, exclu- he just said, this is for all mankind. Every man, woman, and child, here's the grace that I'm extending through the work of the cross. The creator took on the likeness of his creation. And then if you continue that word, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what I want us to see in this passage is the contradictions or the changes that Christ did. First, we are the created, but he came and he became part of the creative work. Then it says, and he dwelt among us. And that word is the word tabernacle, which basically means to abide or live or dwell. In the Old Testament, before Christ, the tabernacle was built so that people could come and meet God. When Christ came and he dwelt among us, it was so that the tabernacle was built so that God could come and meet man. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was built and man came to meet with God. In the New Testament, the tabernacle, when he came in in flesh and he dwelt among us, the tabernacle came so that God could meet with man. I think in Philippians, I think it says that, and I love the way it's written. He says, oh, you came to know God. And he says, no, rather, you came and you were known by God. Do you see the change? The tabernacle was there in the Old Testament so that we could approach. Now the tabernacle in the New Testament, he came and dwelt among us is so that he could come. In the Old Testament, those that were sick, lepers, people that had issues of blood or scars and those things, they were told not to approach. They had separate places to go. In the New Testament, what did Jesus do? He went and he touched them. What the Old Testament said you can't do, Jesus came and he says, no, this is how grace works. And he flipped the script. He turned the world right side up. And he says, no, in the kingdom, this is how we do this. This is the grace that's been extended to you and I. And it's extended to you and I, not just for our benefit, but for us to be able to extend it to others. Can you imagine what it would be like to extend grace to somebody that wasn't expecting it? My wife tried to do that this week. She sent me a message and she says, I just had the craziest day. She says, I was at a store and I asked somebody if I could pay for their groceries and they looked at me and said, no, what do you think I am, poor? Sometimes when you try to extend grace, the other person, it's just way out of their picture. Doesn't mean you don't do it. 
Then she tried to be gracious and, care, and strike up a conversation with the teller, and the teller shut her down just like that, and she, she sent me a message. I'm, I'm battling, batting zero. What do I do? I said, you keep doing it. You keep doing it. Extend grace. Keep extending grace. He dwelt among us, the creator living among his creation. What man was unable to accomplish, what man was unable to remedy, what man was unable to fix, God came and he fixed it and he said, here, now this is the way to approach. I'm now coming to you. This is the grace of God extended towards you and me. It's powerful. At least it was powerful as I study it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Again, glory. In the Old Testament, Moses spent time with, G- with God and he be, it, the glory actually affected him, and he came down from the mountain having the stones of the law, the Ten Commandments written, and they actually put a veil over his face because it was so bright. And he, every time he went in to spend time with God, the glory was so strong, he'd come back out, put the veil back on. And it says, in the, here it says, He dwelt among us and we beheld, we saw his glory. We saw his radiance. We saw his splendor. We saw his majesty. We saw his magnitude. The glory as of the only begotten. And that word only begotten, the uniqueness. There's no one like him. The glory in the Old Testament People couldn't handle it, so they put a veil down. In the New Testament, we get to enjoy it and we get to see it because it lives among us. The glory, the splendor, the brightness, the radiance is designed to impact you and to change you. Paul, when he was confronted on the road to Damascus, he, he, the, the angel the, or God came and confronted him and it was so bright that he could not see his way and he had to have people help him. The glory of God that is resident, available at your disposal is so strong and so powerful, it should affect your life. Literally. Not just with a head knowledge. But I believe when the power of God hits us and the glory of God fills us, it actually would change us physically. You say, well, that's the way I used to be. Yeah, that's the way you used to be. You are no longer like that because you've been marked by his glory. You've been touched by his glory. You've been touched by the one who walked among us, was full of grace and truth, and he has come and he's impacted your life. And there is a physical, there is an aspect that people around you notice a difference in you. I've seen it. I have seen people who have accepted Christ and literally their face 
changes. Literally, I've seen the complexion change from despair to hope. And they've literally, their face has changed. Why? Because they've been encountered by the glory of God. That's why I think we need to learn how to smile more. We need to get some good joke books. Not bad punny jokes, but good jokes. Learn how to laugh. If you don't, I'm just going to keep telling you bad jokes. So you may want to invest in some and give them to me. By the way, did you hear? No, I'm not, I'm not going to go. When you, when you encounter the glory of God, it is designed to affect you. When you encounter the glory of God, it is designed to affect you. Here's something for you to think about. You should leave Sunday afternoon different than when you came Sunday morning. You should leave different than when the, the way you came. Not because of me, not because of the pastoral team, because of him. Because having an encounter with him can change our life. You should leave here different. You should leave here with greater perspective. You should leave here with greater humility. You should leave here with greater patience. You should leave here with greater hope. You should leave here with greater understanding. You should leave here with greater. Why? Because the one who is greater, the word, the entire communication process that God had came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So when we come here, we should be beholding his glory and how he communicates and how he talks with us. And it should change me. If I come in here hopeless, I should walk out hopeful. When I come in with questions, I should walk out with an answer. The answer. And even answers to the questions you have. God's able. One moment in his presence, one moment in his glory can affect you forever. So why not bring your questions to him? Glory has the ability to change us. Jesus walked, the grace that Jesus walked in was full and complete. So think about this, what he had does not lack. There is no deficiency in that. So if you need something, don't come to get some temporary measure. Go to the one that is complete and full and can answer it completely. And in today's world, quite often we chase after a bottle, we chase after pills, we chase after some other thing that satisfies temporarily, but it does not satisfy completely or wholly. 
And the answer that we're looking for is not found in those things that are temporary. The answer we're looking for is found in him who is whole, complete, full of grace, full of truth. Truth means dependability. You can depend on Jesus. Quit depending on CNN. Start depending on G-O-D. Fullness. Full measure. These are just some of the words in this passage. Everything and anything that you need, you find in Jesus. Can you take a moment and close your eyes? And I'd like to just speak some of the things that God showed me in this passage over you. And what I'd like to do is I just, I'd like them to fall like rain on you. So if you're hungry... If you've got questions, if your soul is restless, and I would encourage you to have a posture of being open physically because the physical and the spiritual are actually closely connected. So if you'd like to receive, just take a moment, just open your hands, and I'd just like to read some of the thoughts that I've seen from the Scripture in this passage. You can depend on Jesus Quit depending on your own stuff. His fullness, everything and anything that you need, you find in Jesus. There is nothing lacking in Jesus. Just receive this. says in verse 16, for of his fullness, his completeness, everything that he has, we have all received and grace upon grace. Receive right now what Jesus has for you. If your mind is going 100 miles an hour, unfold your arms and take your hands off your lap and just receive right now what he has for you. If you can't figure out your next step, take a step back and receive. Because according to the scriptures, grace that was upon Jesus was also now grace upon you. If your kids are driving you crazy, a great opportunity to receive right now. If you're facing life-altering decisions... Talk to Jesus. He's the spirit of wisdom. If you're facing things that, that are just, wow, insurmountable, they're mountains, just open your arms up right now and receive. God's grace is there for you. It says grace upon grace. God's grace is to be perpetual. 
never ending. So right now, the grace that God has for you is to keep going. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Gift upon gift. Blessing upon blessing. Don't limit God and say, that's enough. But limit yourself by saying, you be quiet and receive. Receive what he has for you. I believe right now these are holy moments. I believe the Holy Spirit is doing a work right now. There's a presence here right now. Can I say something? Don't be so smart that you tell God you don't need him. Jesus was given for our benefit. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Let the generating power of grace and truth fix your world. Let it produce in you what you cannot produce in yourself. I'm just going to close with a few more words. Let his splendor in. Just in the attitude of prayer and an attitude of him ministering right now. Let his splendor in. Walk in his fullness. Walk in his grace. Receive his fullness. Let his power take over. Let his wisdom speak. Let his truth build you up. Let his patience work. Let his meekness control. Let his strength uphold. Let his awareness enlighten. Let his ability help. Those are all aspects of what Jesus did when he came. And it says, and we've received of his fullness, grace upon grace. Just raise your hands right now. I'm going to say a prayer, but I'd like you, if you could, just raise your hands. And I'm asking Holy Spirit right now if he would just speak to you and he would just tell you what he sees, what he knows. So if you could take 10 seconds and just say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to know? Just ask him that right now. Hallelujah. Father, you are so good.
Lord, and I thank you that you came and you took my life, which was upside down, and you turned it over right side up with your kingdom, your life, your grace, your truth. And I thank you, Lord, that the entire communication process, your words, became life inside of me. And because of Jesus, the word, you speak to me and you talk to me and you direct me. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit comes and he quickens and he makes alive those truths and those things that your word speaks about. So this week, Lord, I ask for your grace to pour out on those here this morning. May we ask for your grace. Even if we don't think we deserve it, may we come and we ask for it because you have given it to us. And may we learn to lean into your grace instead of our own understanding. And I ask, Holy Spirit, you'd come right now and you'd just seal that in our hearts. And as we fellowship right now, Lord, over the soup, Lord, I ask, Lord, our words would change and our outlook would change and our fellowship would change as we spend time one with another. In your precious name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you.